Well, I, like uh, so many other people that I know, grew up in churches where pastors rarely talked about the Holy Spirit. In fact, they talked about Jesus and God a lot, but rarely did they talk about the Holy Spirit. I have come to this conclusion after my study the last uh, few weeks and reading and uh, listening to other pastors talk on the topic of the Holy Spirit. I've come to the conclusion that most Bible teachers talk about the Holy Spirit like the crazy uncle who shows up once a year at Thanksgiving. You got that uncle? That uncle, that aunt, you're all thinking of them right now. As soon as I said that, for most of you, something, somebody popped into your head. Now you're turning to one another and you're saying, are you thinking the same one I'm thinking of? And we all know who that person is, right? And, and I think that a lot of Bible teachers, a lot of pastors, that's the way we treat him. He shows up at Thanksgiving once a year. He has a little bit of an inappropriate behavior. And you, you can't help uh, the fact that you're related to him. But you don't necessarily want to draw attention to him either. I think that as I have studied over the last couple of weeks, I've become convinced that that is the way that most conservative evangelical Christians view the Holy Spirit. A part of the family, yes, we get that. He's, he's part of the Godhead, but he's a little scary. And so we just kind of keep our arms distance. In fact, I listened to a pastor this week who was talking about uh, some of the fears that he had as a child when they described the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. Uh, when I was a kid, there was only one friendly ghost, and his name was Casper. That's it. The rest of them lived underneath the bed. Uh, they did things. They lived in your closet. They did things that they weren't supposed to do, and nobody wants a ghost, Right? And so he was talking about how, well, maybe if you just change the name of the Holy Spirit to something else, maybe people would. And he suggested, maybe he said we should call him Bill. Just Bill. And then for the very conservative Christians, they could call him William, right? And then maybe for those that are on that evangelical fringe, right, with the Holy Spirit, they're just a little bit radical, they could call him Billy. And you would get everybody kind of, you know, and I thought, you know, we're so ignorant of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's what it is. We're scared of something that we don't know what we're scared of because for many of us, we have a flawed idea and understanding of who the Spirit of God is. Here's the sad reality is that many believers can go through their entire Christian life and never understand the necessity of the Holy Spirit's presence and work in our lives. Here's what I want you to understand this morning, though. Without the Holy Spirit, we simply operate in our own strength, and that is never, ever, ever a good thing. We never, ever see the supernatural happen because we're always operating in our own strength. And here's the sad reality that there are many churches in this area this morning, all across America, all across the globe, that will do ministry. And, and really, quite frankly, whether or not the Spirit of God showed up or not, it wouldn't really matter. Because they do ministry strictly in the flesh. And people respond to the flesh. People respond to a, a band who plays a particular style of music. They respond to the charisma of a communicator up front. And so therefore, if the Spirit of God never showed up, everything would be just fine. And we never see the supernatural happen in our midst. All the things that happen are somewhat less than spectacular. They're human-sized results rather than God-sized results because we operate without the Holy Spirit. And I also believe that people never really see life change 
because we operate on human action rather than supernatural. Well, there can be temporary change, but not long-lasting life change that comes when the Spirit of God really gets a hold and grips your heart. But I do know, and I have seen it in my own life, and I've seen it in the lives of other people, that when we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, supernatural God-sized things happen. God shows up and God does things that only God can do. As we just went through our capital campaign, those of you that have been here for a long time know that we prayed that God would do something supernatural, that that God would do something big so that only he could get the credit for it. And for so many of us, we are content to simply receive the credit for ourselves and therefore we simply see God working working on a human plane. We, we see only human-sized things happening rather than God-sized things. Now, you do need to understand, and if you're a new follower of Jesus, and I know there are a number of you that are, that the topic of the Holy Spirit is a difficult one. There are many different views or many, on many different aspects of the Holy Spirit, and it is oftentimes a subject that divides those who are followers of Jesus. We will not allow that to happen at Northwest. I want to tell you, and I will tell you over the next few weeks, that there is room for differences of opinion on certain things. I'm going to be very careful to tell you what I know to be 100% truth and what I know to be, uh, I'm very convinced of it myself, but there's some room for interpretation. It's interesting that in Bible college and seminary, pastors are often told, if you're about 50 plus percent sure of something, then you just preach it as 100% truth. I want you to know I won't do that here at Northwest. Some of you haven't been here long enough to know that, but I won't do that. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm uncertain, if I think there's room for interpretation with good Bible-believing evangelical scholars where they disagree, I'm going to make sure that you know that. Now, I'm also a type A, and I'm somewhat opinionated, and so I will tell you what my opinion is and where I've come to as we look at some of these things, not so much today, but over the next uh, several weeks. Some people would advise that this is a subject matter that would be better off not to be uh, preached in a Sunday morning crowd, lest it divide us. We're going to do just the opposite. We're going to put it out there, and we're going to wrap our arms around it, and uh, hopefully we're going to learn some things. And while it's difficult, and quite frankly, it's a little bit intimidating, even to me, there are probably fewer topics in the Christian life that need greater discussion than the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I also recognize that at Northwest, we have all kinds of people that are at different places uh, in their spiritual journey. We have many people who have known Jesus for a long time, and of those, some of you are real students of the Word, and you have a biblical understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Others of you have known the Lord for quite some time, but you are very content for me to interpret and translate for you the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Let me challenge you not to be that way. Uh, We say all the time that We want you to be self-feeders. Now, there are some of you here this morning, and a number of you, and you're new followers of Jesus, and so you're anxious to know all that you can about the Holy Spirit. I mean, and that's that's a wise thing. If you're truly a follower of Jesus, we believe 100% that the Bible teaches that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, that the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, to indwell you. So if you're a new follower of Jesus, that's what happened at the moment of salvation. The Spirit of God came and he took up residence in your life. I would submit to you that if that has happened, it would do well for you to understand who it is then that's living in your life, right? What is he doing? What is he supposed to be doing? How do you know that he's there? We're going to talk about that. 
There's some people that talk about the Holy Spirit a lot, and yet there is no evidence in their life that he is actively at work. Others understand it, him theologically, and can tell others about his work, and yet in reality, rarely, if ever, see him working in their own lives. And others of us, I'm convinced probably this is the majority of us, are very content just to never understand what it means to have an intimate understanding with the Holy Spirit, and we just simply ignore him. I think that would be true for a number of us here this morning. Our ignorance has caused us just simply to ignore. And yet there are other people, there's another group of people, and yet they don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit of God. They don't uh, uh, flaunt around their knowledge and understanding of the doctrine of pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit, And yet, it is so obvious in their lives that the Spirit of God is at work. And and you know, really, at the end of the day, I think that that's where I want to land personally. I want to be to the point where I don't have to talk a lot about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit with you to convince you that he's alive and at work in my life. I want to live in such a way that you become convinced, as I am convinced, that God is at work in and through my life. And I pray that, by the way, for each one of you here this morning that are followers of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to do over the next uh, few weeks. Now, this morning, I've simply entitled our message, Holy Spirit 101, because that's what it is. I'm just going to give you the very basics of who the Holy Spirit is and what his role is Uh, in our uh, world today, how we got him, how he came to us and and indwelt us. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about his present ministry right now, about his convicting work in our life, and, and about how he leads us and he guides us and he talks to us and we have intimacy with him. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts. That'll get us into a little bit of controversy, the gifts of the Spirit. And are they for today? Are tongues for today? And if they are, what are they? Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the spiritual gifts of of healing, all of the sign gifts uh, of the Spirit. Is that controversial enough for some of you? We're going to to dig in and we're we're going to explore what the Scripture says. We're going to try to do at least uh, one week where we just do the frequently asked questions about the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's a lot of confusion out there of what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When does that happen? Uh, Some out there in evangelical circles believe that there is a second blessing when we can get an extra measure of the Spirit of God and the baptism of the Spirit. We're going to talk about all those things. And if in the end, in three weeks, I still have a job, we'll start into the book of Proverbs then sometime in the month of June. All right? That was supposed to be funny, and yet nobody laughed, and so... Maybe there is a possibility that I won't be here. So I will enjoy these next few weeks, and uh, I will try to be as controversial as possible since this could be my hurrah. And what better way to go out than talking about the Holy Spirit? All right, real quickly, you're going to have to stay with me uh, because I'm going to blaze through uh, some of this uh, really quickly. I went overtime in the first hour. That's okay because it's not quite lunchtime. It's Mother's Day. You want to get to your restaurants. I, I get that. So... Buckle your seatbelt, and here we go. All right, first thing you need to understand about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit 101, don't be confused on this, that he is a member of the Trinity. He's a member of the Trinity. He is not out there. While you may at this particular moment view him as the crazy uncle, all right, part of the Trinity, nevertheless, he is part of the deity. He is part of the Godhead. He's the third person. Matthew 28, verse 19, when Jesus was giving his instructions... 
Uh, Before he left, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, that's God, and of the Son, that's Jesus, and of the Holy Spirit. He is a member of the Trinity. And number two, and you might not, some of you might not recognize this, maybe you haven't paid attention, but he also was there at creation in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I love that verse. There the Spirit of God is. He's hovering over the face of the waters. And then verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image, our image, after our likeness. He's the creator. And number three, he is a person, not an impersonal force. Very important for you to understand that and not to miss that, that he is a person. He is not an impersonal force. Contrary to popular, popular books that are being written, he's not, a, he's not a, a, a blue man that's out there. He is a person. He has intellect. Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. He has intellect. He also has emotion. We're going to see that next week. It is possible for us to grieve, for us to quench the spirit of God. In layman's terms, just to put it really down low, it's possible to tick off the spirit of God. Right? He has emotion. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Side note, exit for just a moment. I think there's a lot of us that do that with the Spirit of God. As followers of Jesus Christ, he has come and he's filled us. He's, he's indwelling us. And yet we're constantly pushing him around as if he were just simply an annoying guest that's been there just a little too long. You, you know what I mean? kind of like that family member that comes. They want to stay for a couple of days. They assume you're having a good time with them. They stay a few extra days. After a while, you're annoyed. You want them to go back wherever it is they came from. That's the way a lot of us treat the Spirit of God. Good thing that at least he's bearing witness in us. But when convicted, when he leads, when he talks to us, we kind of push him out. It's possible to grieve the Spirit of God. And then lastly, as a person, he has a will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, when Paul is speaking about spiritual gifts, he says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Spirit of God gives us spiritual gifts. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Savior, you have been given at least one spiritual gift. It's a gift that he gives you at salvation. And you aren't supposed to go, I got a gift. It's a secret gift. I'm going to keep it a secret. I'm going to put it in this little pouch over here. And nobody's going to ever know. No, no. You take your gift. And as Paul told Timothy, you fan it into flame and you use it. That's what the Spirit of God does. He has a will. And by that will, he apportions to us uh, spiritual gifts. What does he do in our lives? We're going to talk about this in depth next week, but let me go through this chart that I have um, just real quickly, and I'm not going to give you the proof text, at least I'm going to try not to as I go through it. I think this is where I got off track last hour. I started preaching the individual works of the Holy Spirit, and I can't do that. So through the Holy Spirit, we have access to God, Ephesians 2. He anoints us for service. He assures us. By the way, we're going to talk about conviction next week. 
But if you experience the conviction of the Spirit of God in your life, you ought to be grateful for that. Because when you, can, when you sense that conviction, that is assurance. He authors Scripture. He baptizes us with his Spirit and into the body of Christ. Uh, he calls and he commissions us. He cleanses us. He convicts us of sin. He creates, back to Genesis 1. He empowers us. He fills us. He gives us gifts. He glorifies Christ. He guides in truth. He helps our weaknesses. He indwells believers. He inspires prayer. He intercedes for us. I love that one. You ever get yourself in a situation where you're praying and you don't know exactly what to pray and then you're reminded that, that the Spirit of God says it doesn't matter, I'm going to tell him what you mean anyway? And then all of a sudden, God does something and you go, that's not even what I asked for. How about the Spirit knew what you, you know, he intercedes for us. That's awesome. He interprets scripture for us. Many of us say, I just cannot understand the Bible. I open it up. It's just like, oh, Greek to me. I don't understand it. Watch yourself. Paul said, the natural man doesn't receive the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. That means apart from the Spirit of God living in us and helping us, giving us the ability to be able to interpret and understand Scripture, we don't understand Scripture. So if you say that you can't understand Scripture, what therefore are you saying? You're saying the Spirit of God is not alive and at work in my life. I have no ability to be able to understand because one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is that he helps us to interpret Scripture, to understand what we do with Scripture and how we make uh, uh, how we use it in our lives and how it affects our behavior and how we live life. He leads us. You want to know why there's confusion in so many of our lives? It's because we have so quenched the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, we don't hear that still small voice of the Spirit of God. And so we constantly don't know which way to go. Yet when we are filled with the Spirit of God, when he has captivated our lives, when we are living in the Spirit, we know where to go. We know, and I'm going to talk to you about it next week. I believe the Spirit of God talks to me all the time. Not in a verbal voice, but he's talking to me all the time. I talk back to him in my car. I am thankful for the ministry of the Spirit of God because he leads me. Romans 8, he liberates me. Galatians 5, we saw this in our study of Galatians. He molds our character. He helps us produce fruit. He empowers believers. He regenerates and sanctifies. He seals our salvation. I love that one. He strengthens us when we're weak. He teaches us. He testifies of Jesus. He gives us victory over the flesh. And when we worship in the Spirit, he aids us in our worship. Some of you wonder why when we're singing these songs and you're looking at people and they really seem to be connected and you're going, I'm not, could it be? That the Spirit of God is not at work in your life. And the only way, by the way, in which we have Spirit-filled worship is if we have Spirit-filled Christians. Sometimes people get the idea that somehow the Spirit of God is just hovering around in this room. No, he, he is in those of us that have, are trusting in Christ alone as our Savior. He's in us. And as he's in us and as we're filled with the Spirit, he gives us help in how we worship. That might be the difference between some of you that as you look around, maybe it is, that you have never really come to Jesus. You've never really slipped over that line of faith. The Spirit of God is not alive in you. We're going to talk about it a lot next week. And so therefore, you are not equipped. You have no ability really to be able to have a relationship with Jesus as he intends us to have apart from the Holy Spirit. And we could go all the way back to the book of Genesis 
chapter one, we could see the work of the Holy Spirit. But for our sake uh, of our study this morning, I want to have the person who knows the Holy Spirit best introduce him to us. Uh, Jesus did just that in John's uh, gospel. And if you have your Bible, I hope you do, turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And I'm going to have to, uh, as the old farmer said, make hay while the sun shines here because we got a lot of material to cover. And uh, I know you're going to shut me off soon, all right? I think it'd be helpful to understand the context of the words that Jesus is speaking here. In chapters 14, 15, and 16 of John's gospel, um, we, we have a record of the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, that Passover meal, the night before he is crucified. If you look at a timeline of of the events of the Last Supper and the subsequent crucifixion, you would see that this is about 12 hours before that Jesus is having this conversation in uh, chapters 14, 15, 16 of John's record. And it's a critical moment in Jesus' ministry to his disciples. He knows that in just a matter of hours, he's going to die, and he's giving them last-minute instructions and information that they're going to need to know. And you can imagine, some of you studied this passage before, there's a lot of confusion that's going on. I mean, you got Peter that's going, no, that will not happen. I will never let you die. You got Judas over there, you know, kind of conniving. You got all kinds of dynamics that are going on. He starts out in verse 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house, there are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And that's where I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare you a place, then I'm going to come again and bring you where I am. And then Thomas says, verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? We're confused. Verse 6, Jesus said to him, and I love this verse, I am the way. I am the way. There is no other way. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now look at verse 15. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he'll give you another. By the way, another, if you're taking notes there in your Bible, you might want to write down another that is just like. Somebody that's just like. I'm going to give you another, and the word that's used there in our English translations is helper, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Our English word helper is the New Testament Greek word parakletos. It means to, to be called to one side. The word is used to describe someone who pleaded another's case, who would help others by defending or by comforting them. In the English language uh, versions of the Bible, parakletos is generally translated when associated with the Holy Spirit as counselor or comforter or helper as it is here in uh, John 14. And so Jesus tells them that there's a, there's a helper that's going to come. And he's not going to be a complete stranger to them. He says, in fact, you know him. And of course they knew him in the sense that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one. But Jesus also said, you know him because he dwells with you. But now he's going to be in you. You see, they had experienced the Holy Spirit with them to a certain extent, much like the Old Testament believers But now Jesus is saying that the helper is going to come and he's not only going to be with them, but he's going to literally take up residence inside of them in their lives. How awesome is that? Now he's not just going to be beside you, but he's going to be in you. Verse 18 says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. 
Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. And that day you'll know that I'm the Father and you are in me and I in you. Verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to, to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Chapter 15, look down at verse 26. He says, but when the helper, the parakletos, comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. He gets into chapter 16, and he keeps saying the same things. If you get down to verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, if you're like me and you read that and you go, how can it be to my advantage that Jesus would actually go away? How could it be better to trade a human Jesus for a spirit, right? Who is there, but he's there. Is he really there? Have you ever been in a situation where you've said, I've done this many times, where you've said, man, I wish Jesus would just sit here right beside me and I wish, I wish he'd just speak to me. Anybody ever said that? All right. Five of you, that's better than three. Usually just the same three respond. Five of you say, I've been there so many times when I found myself saying, I wish that Jesus were sitting here right beside me and would just put his arm around me and he would just whisper to me what he wants me to do, what I should do in this particular situation or that he would bring me comfort, that I would literally feel the physical arm of, of Jesus around me. And yet here's the truth of the matter, which is why I say we do not understand the ministry of the Spirit of God. Folks, that is what we have if we are in Christ. We have the Spirit of God who's not just with us from time to time like he's in the same room with us. I mean, he's actually inside of us. And so although we physically cannot put our arms around him, he is with us. And Jesus said, hey, gang, that's better for you, actually. <laughs> One author I read this week said uh, they had no choice but to believe that. When a man comes from the dead, you just do what he says. You just believe him, right? It must be better. Verse 12 of chapter 16, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear to hear them now. When the spirit of the truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whoever hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Here's the bottom line. Jesus said, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you a comforter. Don't worry. I know you're all worried and scared that I'm leaving and that I'm, that I'm going back to heaven, and what are you going to possibly do without me? But don't worry about that because he's going to help you and he's going to comfort you. Now, that word comforter is an interesting word to most men. I realized this week when I was reading what another pastor wrote that it's just universally true. Men don't understand the word comforter. We just don't. Because here's what happens. When I was single, I, well, I didn't usually make my bed because I figured who's going in the room except me, right? Why should I make my bed? I still feel that way. When my wife's out of town, why make the bed, right? I'm just going to get back in it in about 15 hours or so. Why make it? Women, come on, jump in. The water's warm. If we all had the same philosophy, we would not have a problem. Can I get an amen, men? That's how it works, right? I had a blanket on my bed and that blanket kept me warm. It was utilitarian, you call it a comforter, you call it a blanket, you call it whatever you want to call it. But it had a purpose for existing. I didn't just put it on there because it made my bed look nice. I didn't care what the bed looked like. I care what it slept like, right? That's what I cared about. And then I got married. 
And I realized very quickly that, that that's not really the way the world works, right? No, 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 no. Comforters are not to be comforted. Comforters are to look at, right? Yeah. A couple of you newlyweds, you guys are going, yeah, I didn't understand that either. I'm just, that's where I am right now, man. Explain it to me. Preach to me, brother. Help me understand. I didn't understand what a comfort, and she says, don't put your head on that pillow. That's a pillow sham. Like a pillow sham, it's a pillow scam. Like, why did, we, why did we pay for it if we don't lay our heads on it? No, no, we just look at it. And then 47,000 pillows on the, on the bed that every night before I go to bed, secret, there was no secret, 15 hours later, I am going to go to bed. I got to take all the pillows off. And until the comforter gets old, I got to take the comforter back because it's not really for, and then, hey, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but... <laughs> This is 25 years of just pent up that's coming out with the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to me. He's giving me words of utterance. Then I go in the guest bathroom and God forbid that I should use a towel in the guest bathroom. (laughs) Who used this towel? I did. My hands were wet. And I realized listening to this pastor this week, I so identified with him. I really didn't identify or agree with anything else he preached. But when he taught, I, I said, that's me. That's my life. And, and here, here's the point of the illustration. You're wondering what the point is. i got to get back to the point. The, the point is this, that for many of us, that word comforter, we have the same view of the comforter as the Holy Spirit in the same way. That he's just, he's not utilitarian. He's just something pretty that's there. He's the third person of the Godhead. Yes, we get it. We, get, we understand the body. Can't get around that. There's God the Father, God the Son, and this Holy Spirit ghost thing going on over here. But we don't, we don't kind of do anything with that. Shame on us. I believe we are so missing it as believers if we don't have a good understanding of the Spirit of God. All right? Let's jump into Acts chapter 1 just really quick. And this is very dangerous. Okay? But we're going to jump into Acts chapter 1 here real quickly. And we're going to unpack some of these things in the weeks to come. But for the sake of time... I'm going to go really quickly here. Jesus tells his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Notice, just side note, he doesn't tell them, hey, go into a room, get on your knees, pray, beg for the Holy Spirit. He just says, sit and wait, because something is about to happen. So go to Jerusalem and just just wait. And so they did that. Verse 8 of chapter 1, in fact, says, look back up at verse 5. For John baptized with water... But you're about ready to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So I want you to go and I, and I want you to wait. Verse 8 says, but you'll receive power. That word, again, great sermon. That word literally is the word that we get our English word dynamite from. What would it be like, Christ follower, if you suddenly understood that you got dynamite living inside of you? You have the power to be and do everything that God has called you to be and do in this world for his honor, for his glory, for the cause of the gospel. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then Jesus goes up into heaven and two angels come and they say, what are you looking at? And they go, we don't know. We're just totally confused. So we'll just sit and wait. And so they obeyed and they stayed in Jerusalem 
And they wait, and in the second chapter of Acts, we see the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus had made that a helper was going to come. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost, don't be confused with that, it just simply means 50th or 50 days after Passover. When that day arrived, they were all together in one place. They're just sitting there going, he said the Spirit's going to come. How are we going to know? Well, you're going to find out. Look at verse 2. And suddenly they came from heaven a sound like a, underline that, like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of, underline that for future reference, fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And that's where we go, crazy uncle! Crazy uncle! And he's that one showing up at Thanksgiving. I mean, this is stuff that's happened, and we go, not comfortable with that. You talk about wind and tongues of fire. And most conservative evangelicals all of a sudden go, all right, let's get on with the church. Get down to the end of the chapter 2 where they start giving themselves to the apostles' doctrine and the teaching and the prayer. I can handle that, but not this stuff. Let's move on. This was a uniform, by the way, sovereign work of God on all of them collectively, not something that they sought out individually. I think that's so important for you to understand. At this point, by the baptism with the Spirit, they were all made one spiritual body, the body of Christ. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God has come down, and he's indwelling believers. It's new. It's different. And so these people begin to speak in different tongues. They begin to speak in different languages, intelligible language, languages that could be understood. And the people are going, how are these people able to speak these language, languages? They're Galileans. Now, it's not just that they're Galileans, they're uneducated. Like, these people couldn't possibly speak these languages is really what they're saying. But they're able to speak the languages of all the people, all the Gentiles that are represented there. And these people are going, this is weird. Like, how is that happening? You get down to verse 13, it says, but others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. They're drunk. That's how it's happening. Verse 14, Peter answers that question. It says, standing with the 11, he lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judah, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day. Like it's morning. They're not drunk yet. There's another reason. Peter goes on to preach. And by the way, this is the guy that just 50 days before, you remember when the little servant girl said, hey, I saw you with Jesus. What did he do? Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. What's it to you? No, uh-uh, I don't, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. Never seen him. I don't even really know why I'm here right now. Now he's standing up in front of thousands of people there in Jerusalem, and he's going to preach to them. One pastor recently that I, that I listened to said it this way, basically gave an outline of his sermon. Jesus is the Messiah. You killed him, and he's mad. Say you're sorry. That's what he preaches. You killed him. He rose again. And you have a responsibility. You better say you're sorry. You better come into a relationship with him. Here's the bottom line. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and these believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, incredible God-sized things began to happen in their lives, in their friends' lives, in their neighbors' lives, and in that community. And here's what I want you to get. If you get nothing else this morning, this same Holy Spirit 
that Jesus is talking about with his disciples in John 14, 15, 16, this same Holy Spirit that comes down then and the rushing mighty wind and the, and the tongues of fire, this is the same Holy Spirit that is indwelling our lives this morning if you indeed know Jesus as your personal Savior. You need to understand that. You need to grasp that. You don't read in Scripture and go, well, you know, God just, God just did things back then that, you know, we're just kind of relegated. We're in the church age. And so he doesn't really work anymore. He doesn't really do anything. Let me tell you, if there's any doubt, the Spirit of God, God is at work all across this globe. And he is doing supernatural God-sized stuff. And I think for some of us, we would do well to have a biblically correct theology of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Lest we live our lives without the powerful dynamite that is indwelling us. Francis Chan said this, If we read and believed these accounts, we would expect a great deal of the Holy Spirit. He would not be a mostly forgotten member of the Godhead whom we occasionally give a nod of recognition to, which is what he has become in most American churches. We would expect our new life with the Holy Spirit to look radically different from our old life without him. I think it's one of, the, one of the most tragic things that is happening in evangelicalism, not only in America, but all across the globe, in that people say, I have new life in Christ. I have been born again, and yet there is absolutely no change in our lives. We would do well to question if there's no change, if we have no desire for the Spirit of God to move in and through us and use us and give our lives purpose and meaning and direction, if that has never happened in your life, is not happening in your life, we would do well to question whether or not we've actually ever crossed over that line of faith. Because when the Spirit of God invades a life, everything changes. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone, is, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creation. The old has gone and the new is consistently coming and I am being molded and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. One pastor illustrated it this way. He said, if I told you I had an encounter with God and I told you that he entered my body and gave me a supernatural ability to play basketball, wouldn't you expect to see an amazing improvement in my jump shot, in my defense, in my speed on the court? After all, this is God we're talking about. And if you saw no change in my athleticism, wouldn't you begin to question the validity of my encounter with God? I think for some of us, maybe that's what we should do. We should begin to question the validity of our so-called encounter with God if the Spirit of God has never invaded our life. Do you want to live life in the Spirit? I do. I, I want God to use me, and I want to be a clean and a usable vessel. I, I pray it every Sunday morning when I get up here. I pray it with our worship team, God, that you would just, you would just use your spirit to fill us up and that you would speak through us. That I pray all the time, God, give me words to say that I don't have on this paper. Just use your spirit to, to speak through me. That only happens when we have a proper perspective, understanding, and we are rightly aligned with the Spirit of God in our lives. It's the only way that we're ever going to make a difference for the cause of the gospel is when we are totally filled and in line with the Spirit of God. And that kind of victorious life is only found when we have total obedience and surrender to the Holy Spirit. 
and we remain sensitive to God's guidance in our life, to the Spirit's guidance in our life, and we depend on him totally and obey. And I really believe that's when we experience life at its best. Now, I probably have sufficiently scared some of you. Some of you now are very much intrigued. You're wondering what I'm going to say in the weeks to come about this Holy Spirit. And um, that's exactly where I want you right now, all right? You can be sure of this, that I am not a quick grasper of other men's thoughts. We are committed to the truth of the Word of God, but we are committed to just that. We don't approach the Word of God with presuppositions based on what our background is, what we've been taught in the past. What we're trying to do is simply say, what does God say about his Spirit? And that's what we want to embrace and lay hold of here at Northwest. This is not meant to be uh, uh, something that will divide us. We'll probably come to the end of the series and some of you will go, I disagree with you on that. Well, that's fine. You get to heaven, you'll understand I was right and you can apologize. No, no. I think in some cases it could be just the opposite. We may get to heaven and I may have to look at some of you and say you were closer than I was. My guess is that we get to heaven and we both go, didn't totally grasp it fully, right? But what we're trying to do is we're trying to understand the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, not so we can just come have fat spiritual heads. There are too many of us with fat spiritual heads. We know more than we'll ever do anything with. The idea is that we understand intimately who the Spirit of God is and who this one is that has invaded our lives as Christ followers. And we allow him to do his work in and through us. That's our intent over the next few weeks. Glad you're on that journey with us. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, these folks. Thanks for their kind attention. God, thanks for your word. Thanks for the truth of your word. God, we don't, we don't, we don't want to make stuff up. We want to be, we're biblicists, God. We, we want to be totally committed to the truth of scripture. We're grounded. That is our, our sole source of truth here at Northwest. But God, we don't want to ignore the Holy Spirit as if he were some crazy uncle that we just kind of have to tolerate. We want to embrace the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. And as we embrace that in our lives, God, we know that that's going to have an incredible impact and influence on our total church community and then literally on the larger community and our world as we are led by the Spirit and we operate in the Spirit. God, we don't want to be people that simply operate in the flesh. We don't want you just to do human-sized things. We want to see supernatural things happen because we submit ourselves uh, to the rule of the Spirit of God in our hearts and in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.